0: Father, I thank you for the joy that it is to share your word with your people. I thank you for the privilege you've given me here to do that today, and I thank you for in your providences. Uh, we are here together this morning. Our two pastors are here watching me, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, thank you for the opportunity that we can speak the truth to our people. It may give us a different viewpoint from our pastors who are watching and watching. Uh, witnessing this today and lord i just thank you for the joy lord i trust that your word will accomplish its purpose i pray that your word will not return into you void but it will it will convict us and it will give us ears to hear and we will hear exactly what we need to hear for your glory and i pray that we would hear it with honest hearts and with broken hearts about the condition of the church in the world today. And I pray that we would be on our faces before you, asking you for your grace and restoration and repentance that surely the church at large needs. And I pray that in your name. Amen. Well, we see this in Revelation 2 and 3. This is actually uh, a written-down form of the vision that Jesus Christ had given John in the previous chapter, in chapter one, he told him in uh uh in verse uh can you read verse eleven, he said, What you see I want you to write in a book and send it to the seven churches. So John exiled on the Isle of Patmos for the preaching of the gospel. Why? He was probably at the church of Ephesus. So he is exiled on this island for uh being a faithful Apostle and for preaching the gospel with boldness and teaching and training. And so he is exiled. And so Jesus comes to him and he reveals himself to him. And he says, write this in a book. He writes it in a book. And the summation of the book is that there are seven stars and there are seven lampstands. Jesus interprets this in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, are seven golden lampstands. And the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So this vision is given to John. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then the seven stars, that word uh, angels, is literally translated messengers. Some take this, that these messengers are angels that have guard over the church. I've never seen this in Scripture. I do not believe that is what we're seeing here. I believe that Jesus is addressing the pastors and the leaders of these seven churches. Now, these seven churches are literal churches, and they existed in Turkey. They are on invaluable routes. They are in the center of economic and commerce, and God has sovereignly put them here for his purposes so that the gospel can be disseminated to Europe and it can be disseminated east, it can be disseminated north. And so these seven churches are strategically located. They are formed particularly because of persecutions that have existed since the resurrection and ascension and since Pentecost has come. And so these church members, new church members, this new body of Christ have fled. And so they have started and formed Other churches, Apostle Paul has formed some of them. We don't know where all of them were formed from, but we know they are members of Christ's body. And so as we look at this, this is Christ speaking to his body. Now, these also, I said they were literal churches, they are also representative of churches that exist today. These seven churches and the conditions of each church represents condition of the church over the last 2,000 years. And so when we read the condition of the Ephesus church, when we read the condition of the Smyrna church and the Laodicean church, we understand that these conditions do exist today and they will exist tomorrow unless the Lord gets us. And so these are conditions. Now, some theologians, I am not one of them. But they even take these churches and they date them chronologically and they date them according to uh, eras and time. So some of these theologians will say that the church at Ephesus is the apostolic church and it represents a time period from AD 33 to 100. They will say that the church in Smyrna represents the persecuted church, and they say it existed from 100 A.D. to 313 A.D., a time when the church was particularly persecuted by the Romans the, the uh, they were burned at the stake, they were thrown to the lions. So they say Smyrna church, persecuted church, was the church from that point. And then they go on and date these, and they say the Laodicean church, which is the church, the last church we'll talk about, is the church of today's age, started about 1900. Now the promise, the problem with these is that all the condition exists throughout time, and so we can't particularly date them. Perhaps they are helpful. Certainly the church at Thyatira, which was a corrupt church, they labeled it during the Dark Ages, when Rome ruled from 500 to 1500 so. Particularly helpful, perhaps, but I say to you today, the church is corrupt today. And the church is compromised today, so just because it was compromised during that time frame, it still has its corruption in it. So as we look at these things, I want you to notice a few things. Two of the churches received no criticisms. Smyrna was the persecuted church. Philadelphia was the faithful church. No criticisms. Two of the churches received no commendations. Jesus had nothing good to say about the church at Sardis. It was he matter of fact he said you have a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. So he has nothing good to say about the church of Sardis, and he has nothing good to say about the Laodicean church. Three of the churches have major flaws. Ephesus left their first love. Pertimus Compromised. Thyatira. Corrupt. So as we look at these churches, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Which church are we at Grace Bible? Are we Ephesus? Are we Thyatira? Are we Laodicea? And so as we look at this, I want for you to pay particular emphasis to this. A church, as you have in your bulletin, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we are members all together of one body. So when I ask the question corporately, what kind of church is Grace Bible Church? I am asking you personally, what kind of church member are you? Because your spiritual condition, your spiritual health has an effect on us as a corporate body. Keith mentioned this three four weeks ago. Are you a part of the problem? Or are you a part of the solution? Think of us as a chain linked together. And my question to me and my question to you is, are you the weak link in the chain? Is your life, the characteristics of your life, conducive to worship? Or does it quench the Spirit of God? And so as I ask us, the church, I ask you, I ask me individually. And then we'll see in every one of these that Jesus knows. In every section of every church, it says Jesus knows. He is omniscient. He knows everything about you and he knows everything about me. He knows what you think before you think it. And he knows what you say. Before you say it. And he knows knows the source. Of why you think what you think. And say what you say. So Jesus knows. And he says that in every section. And then in every section he says this. He that hath ears. Let him hear. What the spirit says to the churches. So spirit. You open the ears of your people. And I pray that you would. Rebuke us, encourage us, whatever you need to do to minister to us, your people today. So as we look at these, I'm going to look at this a little differently. I'm going to look at this as path one and path two. Path one is the wrong path. And path one starts with losing your first love. After you lose your first love, you are susceptible to becoming compromised. Once you're compromised, you're gonna go into corruption. And corruption always brings death. And so that's path one. We want to avoid that path. Path two. Don't worry about writing all this down. Listen. Path two. Faithful church. A faithful church may lead to persecuted church, but the persecuted church will ultimately and finally be victorious in glory. We want to go path two. Let's avoid path one. Let's look at path one. Church at Ephesus. Jesus has many great things to say about the church at Ephesus. Look what he says, verse 2, chapter 2. I, the omniscient one... Who walks in the midst of the church, isn't that encouraging to us? So he's walking in our midst. He's present with us. Look what he says to the church at Ephesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. You've persevered your patience. You've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Check, check, check. Excellent work, church. You're faithful, you're obedient, you have good, sound doctrine. Uh, You do not tolerate wicked. You do not tolerate wrong doctrine. You're not compromised to the faith. You stand true on the Word of God. You believe that it is sufficient. You believe that I am sufficient. Accommodations, good. Ephesians has been a church. Church at Ephesus has been a church for approximately 40 years. Guess what? Grace Bible has been a church for about 40 years. So, if you look back at our history, if you ask the Greggs and the in the in the in the Dave Browns and the pastor who's been here forever, thankful, thankfully. And you look back over the time and you look back at the, the wolves that have tried to come in. You look at the doctrine and we look at the people that have tried to divide the church. God has been gracious to this place. And he has supernaturally cared for this people through his shepherd, Terry Ends, And we're thankful for it, and we love him for that. And we are similar to the church in Ephesus. Now, guess who church of Ephesus had to be their pastor? Paul. Timothy. Most scholars think Tychicus had a role. And then, who's the pastor now, or was, before he got exiled? John the Apostle. What a lineup of pastors we 've been blessed with the i 'm me with thirty how many thirty two years we 're doing good folks. Look at that word, nevertheless, you see it in your Bible, you circle it that means it 's a warning. Paul himself when he spoke he, he, he was at Ephesus for three years. he spent tireless effort training people he He put the elders in the church and he loved the church. But in tears, the last time he mentions the church, the last time we see him in the church, look at Acts 20. And so Paul, he warns us, and Jesus warns the church, and so what does Paul warn about? He warns about in Acts 20, he says to the church, he says to the church at Ephesus, and he says to the elders, he says in verse 29, Acts 20 verse 29, Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have this against you. Paul warned against this. This is the cause of why this happens. Look at verse 29. I know this after my departure. Ravaged wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember. Watch and remember. So, Grace Bible... I believe we're on right track. I believe we've been on one track, right track. We listen to the warning of Paul. Wolves will try to come in. Bad doctrine will try to undermine the sufficiency of the Scriptures. It will try to undermine the doctrines we've been taught and the faithfulness of God. We must be warned. He says you've lost your first love. What does that mean to lose your first love? And so... uh MacArthur takes a stab at it and he says in his commentary, of uh, his comments, he says, to lose your first love is to lose the passion and fervor for Christ that you once had. It's to become mechanical and orthodox. And it's become you do things in improper motivations. You serve on our safety committee because you want to make Dave Brown and Roger happy. You're in entrusted because you think that will make Greg and Keith happy. You're in the counseling because that's what Keith would want you to do. You come and you worship, and you participate in worship because Terry would sure love to see you here. You're a home group leader. Or you care for the elderly because you think it matters what I think. Wrong motivation. John says, watch your motivation. Don't lose your first love. I like what commentator says. The wife no longer is raptured with her husband as on the honeymoon. Church no longer raptured with their Savior. No amount of works can make up for this. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? And what is it, church? loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So my, my passion for you is this. Jesus Christ must have sole ownership of your heart. You must not let anything else take the throne of your heart. You must let Him captivate you. You must let Him motivate you and drive you to worship. You can't worship someone you don't love. So, Scripture says, Jesus says, I proclaim to you, church, grace, Bible, you're doing well. Don't lose your first love. Keep Him a priority in your heart. Keep Him a priority in your heart. We know that they failed at that test. We know that they did lose their first love. And it says here, if you don't repent of this and turn from this, I'm going to remove your effectiveness. I'm going to remove the lampstand from you. And so that's the warning to us today. Thank you for 40 years, Lord Jesus. Now, we can go this way or we can go that way. We're going to go this way if we lose our first love because it will lead to compromise and corruption. But the reward is great. If we continue in the faith and we continue trusting him by his grace, we will eventually and finally be overcomers. The warning to the church at Ephesus is a warning to us. Remember from where you've fallen. We are salt. We are light. But if the salt has lost its flavor, it is what? Good for nada. To be trampled under the foot of men. And if we do not let the reflecting light of Christ emanate from us, this church, it will be covered lampstand and it will have no effect on the community or us. The warning is, don't lose your first love. Second church, I'm going to combine Pergamus. Thyatira, these are path number one, this is after you leave your first love, compromise, corruption, compromise and corruption. We see this, yes I have skipped Smyrna, I'll get back to her. Chapter two, verse twelve. Jesus speaking, you notice because of their reactions, because of they, because they are compromising, because they are corruption, instead of the one who walks amongst amongst the churches, look what he says in verse twelve. This says he who has the sharp Two-edged sword. So there's an implication and a threat that the Word of God is going to judge this church and He's going to divide to asunder the very thoughts of the church and He's going to have a cutting effect on this church. So Jesus reminds us that He's not only walks in the mist, but He judges us and He judges us out of this Word. And so He comes with this threat. He comes with this Change of tone, and it is necessary for this church. Now, this church lived in a wicked world, so do we. This church, this church was in a corrosive, wicked, pagan environment. So are we. Look what he says in verse thirteen. There's a positive. I know your works. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, Pergamus was in the center of where they were a Caesar's worship cult. They were where there were many challenges and pagan philosophies. They worshipped false gods here. They worshipped the Baals here. There was a god they bowed down to, and that god was the god Bacchus. And if you are a... If you're familiar with the celebration that goes on in New Orleans every year... Part of Mardi Gras, part of that theme is to worship before the God of Bacchus, the God of drunkenness. So this people were dwelling amongst this situation and in this situation, and it was difficult. We live in the same similar culture. And so Jesus is saying to you that he has two complaints against the church at Pergamos, and it was about... Compromise, and the two points he makes is you follow the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, Nicolaitans, if you trace that dog trail, you find out Irenaeus and Ignatius both taught that Nicholas was one of the seven disciples. Original disciples. Nicholas is the last one. You'll see that in Acts 6. And Nicholas apostatized. And Nicholas, his name means one who conquers the people. So there are two thoughts about what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans meant. First thing it meant, according to these scholars, I wasn't there. I'm not as learned as I should be. I read trustworthy men. So he tells us, they tell us that they conquered the one of the first beginnings of this theory that the laity are not capable of understanding the Word of God. This was precursor to the darkness of the Roman Catholic Church where only the priests could interpret the Word. They didn't have mass Bibles. Not all the congregates could read the Bible for themselves. And if they could, the priest would encouraged that you didn't. And so, this doctrine of this Nicolation, some believe that it was the beginning of this. Let the laity be ignorant and learn at the foot of the priest. Very dangerous. Instead of learning, the reading the word for ourselves like the Bereans did, they were taught wrong doctrine by the priest. And so that is one thing that led to the compromise of the church at Pergamos and eventually led to its To the church at Thyatira's corruptions. Second thing we think, we see about this doctrine of the Nicolotians is that it was compromise. They, they, they changed the doctrine of grace to mean, because I am saved by grace, it doesn't matter how I live and so they promoted licentiousness instead of grace being a a a a harbinger against wicked living they said it's okay you're saved by grace in the beginning of Gnosticism, was say, hey, your body's evil, but your spirit's good. So it doesn't matter what you do in your body as long as you have your mind. It's a complete opposite of the Scripture. So there's compromise within the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So this church, Pergamos, was a compromising church. The doctrine of Balaam was very simple. Balaam tried to... Cursed the Jews in Numbers. Balak the king of Moab said, curse the Jews. He went to go do it and God said, nope, you're not going to curse my people. Matter of fact, he had to send a donkey to tell Balaam that he wasn't going to curse his people. So Balaam, as a wicked man, he said, you know, king, I may not be able to encourage God and, and curse his people so that you will beat them in battle. Here's what you do. You get the children of Israel, their wives, and you get them to intermarry with their Moabites. That compromised. So the men got with the Moabite women, and they compromised. They had children, and the religions became mixed. That's compromise. That is what happens in the churches today. Let me read something that Spurgeon said. He said, this is 160 years ago, okay? What would Spurgeon say today? 160 years ago, he said, I believe the reason why the church of God at the present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. The very church which the world likes best is sure to be the church that God hates. A.W. Tozier, I read this in Sunday school last week. Worship is no longer worship. When it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. So Pergamos became compromised in licentious living, wicked living. God says be holy. There should has to be a distinction between God's people and the world. And so this church, Pergamos, violated these truths, and it was wicked, and it was compromising. Then you see uh, Thyatira, I'm going to combine these. The main problem that God had against the church of Thyatira is that they had the spirit of Jezebel. Now look at that, uh, let's see that on... Uh, uh, Verse 20, chapter 2, Church of Thyatira, I'm going to put these together, compromise, corruption. Look what 20 says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants. Jezebel in the Old Testament was the wickedest queen that ever lived, and she was the wife of Ahab. She was so bad that wicked King Ahab was said to be distressed by her. And he was manipulated by her. She was worse than he was. She was a prophetess. She worshipped Ashtaroth. And she worshipped the Baals. She put on the dark makeup. And she was an occult worshipper. She led her husband to wickedness. And so when Jesus says the church in Thyatira has been influenced by the spirit of Jezebel. He is saying that they have been manipulated by demonic means. They have been led astray by this spirit. She used her powerful husband to execute her will. She was involved in the occult. It is a precursor to today's modern feminism. It is when a woman takes follows the curse, your desire shall be over your man, and he will rule over you. It is when a woman says, I rebel against God's will for my home. I rebel against God's order of things. And she rebels willingly and wantonly. Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. Now, we don't know if... This woman in Thyatira's actual name was Jezebel, or it wasn't. It may be a pseudonym. It may not be a particular person at all, but she was similar to the spirit of Jezebel. She was a wicked woman who led her husband. Although he was wicked, she led him astray. So Jesus is saying compromise leads to total corruption. Let me read you something very sad. Verse 23, this spirit of Jezebel... Which infiltrated the church at Thyatira. Which caused them to be involved in occultic practices. And we can look back at history and see that. If you read the history of the churches by Schaefer, Scary things went on during those days. Look what this verse says. Verse 23, chapter 2. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Whence... We are one generation away from apostasy. The effects of her wickedness affects her children in multiple generations after her. God says in the Shema that we are to love our God with our whole soul and we are to teach our children what Lee and Joan do for year after year. They have a generational effect on our kids. They teach them the Word of God. And so when these children raise up, and we've got several generations in this church that have been in this process, that have been in this study, that have been under their influence, and it leads to positivity, faithfulness. But if we turn around the other way and we follow the spirit of Jezebel, that will be passed on to our children. So we fight the good fight. We teach the true doctrines of Christ, the Word of God to our children. Because if we don't, you know what Generation Z is like right now? That is a effect of parents, godly parents who do not children train their children in the nurture and admission of the Lord. We have a culpability to that. And so Jesus says, repent, turn. So how are we doing church? Have we left our first love? Are we a compromised church? Are we a corrupt church? No, we're not. By the grace of God. Look at these churches today. Look at how we tolerate wickedness. Uh, going on right now, Methodist churches are dividing. They're breaking off because there's a controversy between homosexuality in the pulpit and whether or not that should be allowed. You think that's unimaginable? There are Baptist churches doing the same thing. Have you heard about Andy Stanley recently? What he's doing. There's great challenges within our church. So we look at the word of God and we say that's corruption. That will lead to our death. The lampstand will be removed. Our world, our church, we are too similar. We need to be different. We need to be separate. And so... Jesus says, He who hath the ears, let him hear. It's a warning to the church as a whole. And we'll get into this in a second. The next one I see, Lord. Laodiceans in the church at Sardis. In some ways, the worst thing you can be is an apathetic church. To be a lukewarm church. Yes, you're compromised. Yes, you're corrupt. But a lukewarm church says... At least it's good with us. So we see this church at Laodicea. Jesus looks at this church in verse 15, verse 14. Jesus reminds this church that He is the so be it. He is the truth. He is the faithful and true witness. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He is sovereign over the church and He pleads with this church did they not go this path of corruption and compromise and ultimately lukewarmness. And so what did this church and what did the church of Sardis have in common? Sardis was the dead church. Sardis was, look at three, uh, I love this, I hate this, excuse me, 3-1, this 3-1 church at Sardis, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Christ says they're dead. And so this is the final arrival point of this pathway of corruption and compromise and lukewarmness, its death. But let's look at the lukewarm church, Laodicean church. I feel very strongly that we are in this time in the church history. And most churches, I say most, are in this state that they are lukewarm. What is this state? Verse 15 Jesus says, I know your works. You're not cold, nor are you hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, you're not cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What does Jesus say? I was thinking about what Jesus thinks about the church today, what his reactions are. Where was the church in the 60s When the Supreme Court kicked prayer and Bible out of schools. Did you hear much from the church? I was a youngster. I don't know. I was one. What did the church say then? What does Jesus say about our apathy toward our culture? We don't have to guess. He says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Where was the church in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed? Where was the church? What is our culpability and our accountability that men didn't stand up in this pulpit, not this pulpit, but in pulpits across the world and say, thou shalt not kill? Where was the church when Roe v. Wade was enacted? Where is the church when marriage should be between a man and a woman? And now it's not. God's first institution that He designed 6,000 years ago is now up to the interpretation of each state. Where was the church when all this was going on? Did you hear much about it? Did we raise a stink? How come? A Muslim man will get infurious and will react when someone draws a picture of Muhammad, and we the church say nothing when we kill seventy million babies and when we allow marriage to be changed, and now we 're debating whether or not a man is a man and a woman is a woman. What does Jesus think about that Blah. I'm not advocating tyranny. I'm not advocating lawlessness. We are to submit to government, but we are to stand and decree thus saith the Lord. Okay? Where was the church? Reminds me of Lot. Lot was a righteous man vexed by the wickedness and he camped near Sodom. He camped in Sodom and he became mayor of Sodom. And when the And when God removed him and his family from that wicked place, he had to drag them all out, kicking and screaming by his mercy. And when he warned his sons-in-law, they looked at him like he had been joking. He lost his credibility. That's the way the church is today. We're lukewarm. We're not hot or cold. We don't have a... Medicinal effect by being warm. We don't have a refreshing effect by being cold. We're tepid. We're hypocrites. We're indifferent. We don't know that we're wretched, blind, miserable, and naked. Sad state of the church throughout the world. Jesus says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A couple of other quotes, and this one's going to shock you. So be prepared. Spurgeon again, 160 years ago. I don't think the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. Be ready for this one. I believe time will come instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. That's what we have today in the church. And what are they teaching? They're teaching this. Verse 17, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I don't need nothing. The Laodicean church is lukewarm because they are self-absorbed. They teach that blessing from God manifests itself by material blessings. They teach if you don't have faith, you're the problem. They teach that faith leads to material possession. That is, as my spiritual word is, poppycock. It is a dangerous Wicked doctrine that consumes us with materialism. Jesus says the definition is Joshua one eight of success. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you shall meditate it day and night. And you shall observe to do all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. That's Christ's definition of success. Jesus said, beware of heed, take heed of covetousness, which are idols that replace Christ. For one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. What you teach leads to how you act. And so if you teach a group of people that God wants you to be rich, wants you to be wealthy, wants you to have this and wants you to have that, and does not tell you you're a sinner and you need Christ, That is a Laodicean church. And that is so prevalent in the world today. Would you agree with that? Jesus, who knows the church, with his eyes, he calls out to us, the church, to repent of these wicked wicked sins. Hope I haven't stepped on any, broken anybody's toes. But if I have, that's good. Now let's look at the right path the faithful and the persecuted church. The faithful church is the church at Philadelphia, and that's found in chapter 3, verse 7, and there are no criticisms for the Philadelphian church. Some things about this church I want you to know is that the Holy One, verse 7, He who is tree, true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, no one shuts and no, he opens and no one shuts. He says he knows your works. What does he say? He says, I am sovereign over the salvation of men. I'm salvation over my church. You be faithful. You trust me. You teach sound doctrine. You be obedient. You be faithful. And I'm going to open up the door of opportunity for you. And so he has opened up the door of opportunity. We look back at history, seventeen hundreds, we see Spurgeon, late seven as be eighteen hundreds, but we see Wesley, we see Whitfield, we see Europe transformed, we see change occurs, we see it come to America, Great Awakening, we see Jonathan Edwards, we see this period of evangelism, we send missionaries to China, we send David Livingston to Africa, we go to India. There is an open door of opportunities because God's people are faithful and obedient to the call. And so he accommodates the church at Philadelphia. He has no criticism. Look what he says about them. I've opened an open door and no one can shut it. Even though you have little strength, you've kept my word and not denied my name. And then he says, I'm going to bless faithfulness. I'm going to, although you are small in number, there aren't many churches that fall within this framework. A faithful, godly church. It's my call to us at GBC to be the church at Philadelphia that's evangelistic. That shares the gospel of Christ. We don't want to be like those who claim, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and that in your name? Jesus says, I never knew you. Terry and I have just had this discussion about the seriousness of this verse. But one thing that these people don't preach, Pastor... You look at Matthew 7. Look what they preach. Verse. Let's start at verse. I don't have much time to do it. Now, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Matthew 7, 21, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in this day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your names, and done many wonders in your name? Sound like anybody that you're familiar with. Charismatic, externals. These prophets teach this. But you notice they don't preach repent. They don't preach sin. They don't preach the gospel. They preach this. And to those, Jesus says, I never knew you. Wolves, false prophets. But we must be bold. appreciate my pastor. You should appreciate him. You should love on his neck. You should pray for him. You should appreciate Keith. Men that will stand up. Scripture says that woe unto you when everyone speaks well of you. Why do women speak well of you? Because you sugarcoat and you give them what they want to hear and you preach to their itchy ears. But Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword, not peace. Scripture, gospel is divisive. We need to be bold with that in love. We need to share these truths. Some of you know me. I am burning up passion-wise for the days in which we live and I am very sure that we need to be very faithful in these days. We need to be bold and we're not to back off. We're to have courage. We're to be church militant and fight the good fight and share the truth of Christ and love to people and not compromise and not be corrupted by the world and be different, to come out from among them and be separate. I'm going to get wound up and i got to shut up. That's what we are called to do as a church, the faithful church. Be like Philadelphia. Look at the great promise for church at Philadelphia. Now, we know that the church of Smyrna... No criticisms. It was a persecuted church. We will be persecuted if we are faithful. I fully expect that I may get arrested. Or Terry may be arrested. That's okay. Look at the glorious reward. The glorious reward. Let's look at 3. Verse 10. Because you've kept my command to persevere... I will keep you from the hour of trial, which is going to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. No one's going to take your crown. He overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now that is a blessed hope. That is a sure and steady foundation. That is the, that is our glorious future. But let us be faithful and bold. Let us not be afraid of our culture. Let us not be afraid. Some people take this verse 310 as proof text that the church will be raptured. That we will be taken out and we will be removed from the day of temptation. The day of tribulation. We pray, and we hope in that blessed hope, and we trust Him, and we persevere, and we endure. We're in a race, and we are at the end of the marathon, and we need a second wind of grace. We need mercy on us, and we need to be renewed. that ear, let him hear. And I say to us at grace as we finish this up, uh, where are we? I think we've done well. I'm thankful for this church. I love this church. I love you guys. I've never been in a better place in all my life and I'm thankful for this place. Let us continue to be faithful. Let us, ex- let us excel more and more and let us entrust other men to carry on the torch because we're not spring chickens. We need faithful men to come along beside us. And to carry on the 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 legacy we have here at this church. May we not grow weary. May we not leave our first love. May we never compromise. May we never become corrupt. May we never become apathetic and indifferent. And say to the world, who cares? May we not give up. We can't change our culture. But the culture can change us. So we need to be faithful. So what kind of church are we? Let me read what Paul says before he dies. The last thing we have record of him die, saying before he dies. This is encouraged to me. It's an encouragement to all of us, I pray. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Starting with verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and assured of knowing from whom you've learned that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, in righteousness, and the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead is appearing. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort all suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will gather up according to their desires, itchy those who have itchy ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. May God give us ears to hear His Word from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.